Listener Production. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. I'm going to be – well, we can talk about it. All right. Uh, everyone relax. This is Topop. <laughs> I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, and thank you for watching. Yeah, the confusion you just heard at the start, and Mike, you can leave all that rambling in, is um, we started recording the app, and then a minute in, I realized that Will's microphone was not connected. His external mic was not connected, and so we quickly, thank God, stopped and restarted. But then the question became, Will's – what do we call this? Is it the aircraft signs? What do you, what do you call that? Yeah, I mean, what, do you, what is the, that called? Though? I don't know if we have call an official signs. name no, for it. Call signs. That's that's the code name. Yeah, I mean, it's a call sign. No, of call some sign kind, is the, that's your code name. Like Maverick is a call sign, and Goose is a uh-huh. call sign, and Son of Goose or whatever he was called, Rooster, is a call sign. Gosling. Gosling. <laughs> uh, but what do you call that? It would be like. Like if you're in the army, you know, for people who aren't watching the full-length video because they haven't subscribed to Patreon, and you should really do that if you want to support the show, um, when the army, like you're in a platoon and you stop because a guy raises his fist and then does that, like a little, what are those sign language? No, it's not, is it sign language? It's hand signing. I mean, it is a forehand <laughs> signing. <laughs> That's what well, it's, it's called, I have a I name, right? Like when you go to aircraft academy... <laughs> When you join the RFAAF and they say, uh, hey, you're going to be the paddles, man. You've got to learn some, what are they called? Aircraft gestures? (laughs) Hand hand signals. (laughs) Learn some hand signals. Hand signs, hand signals. It's hand signals. Hand signals. Okay. Yeah. That's what they are. Two minutes. They are called. They're called (laughs) first two hand signals. Working out what a hand signal's called. Um, Yeah. So the question was because we'll, we've done the false start with the hand signals. Do we need to do it a second time over? And what did we do in the end? I can't remember. Did you do it? I did it a second time over because based on where this comes from, which is that we were going to start the show with the precision of a Top yeah. Gun pilot leaving the deck of a, you know. Um, Aircraft then carrier. They would – it's not like if it didn't work the first time. <laughs> they would try the second. <laughs> What's the point? We tried. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're on your own. Well, <laughs> take take off. We've done our job. Take off when you want us. The guy on the flight deck with the paddles, he just like no. kicks the dirt, like just like a petulant child. Like, I tried Mate, it once. Didn't I work. nailed my Stupid. bit. <laughs> did I it. did it. Well, you want me to do it yeah. again? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're back. We're back with another episode. Um, uh, what I asked in the aborted attempt to this, uh, Will, was uh, YouTube. Yes. Are you watching YouTube? Because I know you're off social media. And I said that uh, because I've moved recently, I'm not on the home TV that has all the pre-existing algorithms. So when I would go to YouTube, traditionally it would serve me 
whatever the latest movie releases would be, they would serve me honest trailers, pitch meetings, everything wrong with, compilations of highlights of games from Mock the Week. You know, the things that I look at on YouTube, a a whole bunch of hip-hop film clips that is basically, you know, what it would serve me. And so your algorithm eventually, and this is the comfort of the algorithm, is that eventually you think, oh, yeah, you know what? Everyone in the world is just watching pitch meetings and listening to hip-hop, right? And then suddenly you go onto a fresh computer and you log into YouTube what and you realize is this? it's mostly some fella called yeah. Mr. Beast. <laughs> well, I have found a YouTube channel that I feel like, I mean, it's already big, but it's just like, it's, it's that thing of like, once you take mushrooms the first time, all of a sudden you start seeing mushroom imagery everywhere. Like I watched, I saw one of these videos and now it's like, there's a billion of them and Just like hot ones, I'm like, oh, someone's hit upon a formula here and it's addictive. Now, this is a free plug for this website, which because it's also like a content channel for an app. It's called Drumio. It's basically a drummer's resource where, you know, people who want to learn how to drum or get better at drumming, there's an app you can download that has lessons with all these famous drum teachers and famous drummers from bands come in and, you know, it's like masterclass, but for drummers, right? So, well, I mean, the better example would probably be that it's like Cameo for drummers, seeing it's called Drumio, but it, may, it might be more informed. Yeah, like yeah. well, it's actually a course. Like, so it's an online resource for drummers yeah. to learn how to drum and, you know, learn from the best and all that kind of stuff. But they do this, there's a channel on it or like a playlist, which is um, like not blind auditions, but they'll get in, say, like Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they will play him a song he's never heard before, but with with the drum track taken out, so it's like it'll just be a pop song with just the vocals and the guitar. He gets to listen to it once. He gets to have a full round with it on the second listen, and then by the third time, he's just got to play whatever he thinks the drum fill is. And it's they give people songs that are completely out of their genre. So like he, they gave him like some. It's actually it's hilarious. They gave him a Jewel Leaper song, like a disco one, which he was amazing at. He just did this disco beat. But then they sometimes they don't tell the artist who the who the band is or anything. It's it's like a, it's a it's a secret. And so they played him thirty seconds to Mars, and he fucking killed it. Like he was just going working the kit. Like, and then then at the end he's like, "What was that emo shit?" <laughs> and, so, and the producer's like, "Um, that was Jared Leto's band, Thirty Seconds to Mars." He's like, "Oh, I know Jared." <laughs> like. And it's like his brother's actually a pretty good drummer. And it's like, too late, buddy. You said what was that emo shit? But it's fucking awesome. And there's one video in particular which I have been like it's addictive. Once you watch one, then you're like, oh, I want to see a jazz drummer doing fucking Mm -hmm. tool. Oh, I want to see like a heavy metal drummer doing fucking like K-pop. Like it's it's so much fun and it's such a simple formula. Because the thing is, like you're actually watching these these drummers, like the amazing drummers in real time, just like create like they're just and it gives you all this like appreciation for what the the skill of drumming is and the energy they bring to a song but there's one in particular i think her name is dominica or or whatever she's this south american pop drummer she does a lot of like latin pop and they play her like slipknot and it's the heaviest shit and she's only listening to the isolated vocal and guitar track so all she's hearing is like this staccato shouting and screaming with like and she's sitting there and you see her and the whole time she's laughing she's like i've got no fucking idea what this is or what this band is or what this song is 
But then over the course of the three takes, you watch it like the first take you see her go, it's like, oh man, this is going to be a car crash. She's so tentative and she seems to not, you know, know where the fills are and she's just like flapping about. And then second take, yeah, a little bit better, but still you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. And then it gets to the third take and dude, she's wearing this flannel. She takes it off. She ties it around her waist. She fucking puts her hair in a ponytail. And then she goes fucking ape shit. And it is like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I've watched this clip like five times because she's phenomenal. What's her name? Uh, uh, I have to find it for you. Um, so what what song is she she's playing? She's playing um, Slipknot, a Slipknot song. Uh, let me find it for you. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to look it up and save it on this computer and then I'll only get Drumio. Her name is Domino. Drumio. Domino. Sant'Antonio, Domino Sant'Antonio. Oh, yep, I got it. Drumio, Domino Sant'Antonio uh, doing Slipknot. Oh, even in the little, um, you know, video that it has next to the video, you can tell they've got a little clip of her just yeah. not knowing what the fuck is going Dude, on. like <laughs> every kind of 80s film like The Karate Kid or whatever where you see that person go through the hero's journey and then fucking nail it at the end. It's that, but in a 14-minute clip. Like, she just goes from being the biggest underdog and she's fucking, like, so likable and affable and, like, her whole attitude to doing this, like, fully heavy metal song is like, I don't know, I'll just have a crack. And then in the end, so what they do at the very end is then they'll play the track to the drummer so they can hear. And she actually was pretty close in a lot of areas. There's certain things that... Funnily enough, she almost went too hard on. Like, she doesn't even have a double kick. So she starts just like doing this slip technique with one foot. So she gets a double kick sound. And she's just like Animal from the Muppet Show, just fucking working this kit. And by the end of it, I was like, whoa, like, I have to watch that again. And it's just the, that channel is filled with videos like that. There's another one where they get this um, amazing jazz drummer on and they play him some, it's like a really sort of experimental metal band where they don't they all wear masks and they don't have names like the drummer's called two like that's they're all numbered they have like these mm-hmm. aliases and it's really in terms of like like tempo shift and pace shift and stuff it's all over the shop and you see this fucking jazz drummer with his quiff and he's just sitting there and he's like what is this and he again is just like oh i don't know and then by the third take he goes fucking ape shit but he's just like like drumming faster than any metal drum you've ever heard, but with this jazz kind of like working around the kit and just like hi-hatting and stuff, dude, you will love it. It is so much fun to watch. Is it – is that how good drummers th- are? Can they just do that or is like – This I, level I, I mean, of do you drummers. think it's really three takes? Yeah. Do you think – or is that just the convention of the No, it's the definitely three takes because them more some takes. drummers, like Michael Jackson's drummer – um, he doesn't even wait to listen to it. He just starts playing. He just does it intuitively because because they the other fascinating thing about it is they all give you their pro- they give you their process. Like some write shit down. Like one girl, she's like, I'm just going to break it into verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So I know where the changes are. Um, there's this dude. I think he's a jazz drummer who's drumming to Enter Sandman, and he says, look, I just need to know where specific – I can't remember what the, the vernacular is, but it's a specific drum term. There's like every song has five of these. If I know where they are, then I think I can guess from everything else. It, it is – it's phenomenal. It's so much fun. Man, yeah, okay. Well, I don't want to do the rest of this podcast. I just want <laughs> to go get and to the watch some drumio. 
But I've been such an evangelist. So like I only discovered it like three days ago, and I've been trying to make everyone watch it. And like it doesn't work when like when you try and force it's because it's a fourteen minute video, and you really have to. It's not something like you can show on your phone in like a minute, like because you've got to sit there and see the process. Because part of the fun of it is watching that person shit themselves in the first mm-hmm. like ten minutes of going like I can't. You're just playing yeah. me vocals and guitars. I don't know. Is it like, a, are they doing like a tom fill here? Are they just building on the snare? Are they actually opening it up? Like, it's so fascinating. But then, more often than not, the last take is just like, it, it, it's the instinct takes over. That's the kind of beauty of it is you get this, I guess, two sides of creativity where, you know, one side you do have to be analytical and mathematical and there's a structure and stuff. But it's like the, I could liken it to acting in the sense that when you get a script, you'll break it down, you'll study it, you'll you know tear it apart. There'll be sections, there'll be beats, there'll be a structure to the scene. And then once you've learnt all that and you've got it in your head, then the skill is to shake that all off and just turn up on the day and be ready to kind of play in the scene with the, the other actors around you just to you know shake that all off. But to see it done like that where – like from an acting point of view, if I take my time to say my line, it doesn't really affect anything. But with a drummer, they can't fucking miss a change, you know? Like it's all dependent on them. It's amazing. I love that. Like it's such a interesting insight into like how they think about what it is that they do and how that they can listen to something else and find the beat inside those things that they can do. That's like – it's like they speak a different language. They can hear the yes. world with a certain sort of rhythm or like notice shifts of energy or shifts of pace and intuitively know how they can respond to be able to drive that beat or create that beat. It's it's quite fascinating. One of the guys, I can't remember who, uh, was saying because the other the other reason they're showing it is if you are a session drummer or you've been hired by a band for a tour, you've got to learn their song. So part of the skill set is actually being able to listen to music and quickly pick up, oh, this is what they need here. So it's sort of developing that intuition. And one guy was saying, I think it might've been the Michael Jackson guy, is that, yeah, look, you've got to get all that technical stuff down. But if you don't get the energy of the band, like drumming is really, really um, essential, like the what the, the 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 how hard you hit and when you hit and the timing of your hits and whether you're doing double time or you're slowing it down, like you've got to get that. And bands will shift within a set or within a, a gig. You know they'll play certain songs and and you can't just you can't just learn one way. You've got to be able to roll with all of that. And I was thinking about it, it's like I don't know much about me. I'm not a musician, but drummers are always given so much shit. But now I'm watching this yeah. fucking YouTube channel. I'm like, <laughs> I think drummers might be the most important people in a band. <laughs> There's a theory in um, comedy that I've heard occasionally, and I can't find too many examples just off the top of my head, although I know that Tom Gleason used to be a drummer. Oh, yeah was a drummer in a band and like I've heard it floated before that like people who were drummers like oh, yeah, like Daryl Summers because they yes, potentially the, the greatest the two examples Tom Gleason and Daryl Summers the two greatest comedians that Australia has ever produced both drummers 
Yeah, that is like the perfect if we were having a debate over an issue and I'm like pretty confident going into this going, I'm going to use Tom Gleason as my example. He's renowned as being a great comedian. We can all agree on that. This will be a very good, solid opening argument for the fact that drummers make good comedians. And you've immediately gone and I raise you a Daryl Summers. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, touche. <laughs> well done. But I could, I could see, I don't know if it's like specifically comedy, but I think there's a certain kind of brain. Like I um, learnt drums for a little while because I, I, I do love music, but I don't, I just, it, I find I find it difficult to do. It doesn't come naturally and I've got these short stumpy fingers. So like, you know, working a guitar or key, keyboard, keyboard is difficult for me. And so Gemma got me a drum set and I actually found that if you don't have natural talent <laughs> or a flair for music though, but you can count and keep a rhythm, like that's it, that's kind of – it's the easiest entry level than, you know, doing chords or whatever is actually just keeping a beat. Like most people can keep a beat. I don't think that I keep can. Keep a beat. I think that I would – You can bob your head. If I, I – <laughs> That's out of time. That's it's unbelievable. <laughs> Just <laughs> I can't believe it. Four nods and like all each one with a different time in between each. It's fucking weird. But that honestly feels like what I that's how I experience right. the world. I always out feel time. like time. Yeah, it, I don't feel like I have a regimented beat. And even as a performer, like on stage, I don't find what I do easy to replicate you know i find like every night i can find a rhythm within things but i can it doesn't feel like i can replicate the same rhythm as what happened the night before i just have to find like a rhythm in the moment but it has no particular consistency to it you did you did like shakespeare in the park once upon a time didn't you i did and so how'd you go with that that i've never done it again is probably a good example i mean did you find the rhythm of the language hard I think at the time I probably did, but we did it for like months. And so after a while, it no, it becomes very natural. And in fact, if anything, I didn't rely on the rhythm of the language as much as like saying the language in the way that right. I talk because it actually so completely ignoring 500 it. years of like Shakespeare in theory. Like, we're both called William, mate. <laughs> blah, 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 2B or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'll shake a cordless phone, mate. You shake your spear. Things have changed. Oh, I know a better way. Cordless phone. Is that the, the most current tech that came to mind? I was at the time. I think like, I was, was trying to. Like I was. Yeah, I'm a trying to like make phone, this the era. Peak, I could, like, the peak of technology in 1997. <laughs> it was the best thing I could think of in 1997. I've got a disc, man. You've got a spear. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I just, I mean, there's got to, weren't like personal computers around? Oh, yeah, barely though. Like, and it would be weird for you to say you've got a, you shake like, a, like a sphere and I've got computer. a, you shake laptop. a sphere and I shake a personal computer. Yeah, but laptops, like, that you couldn't shake your personal computers yes, you back could. in the day. They were massive. Yeah, in 90, I, yeah, laptops weren't that thick in 97. Mate, in bloody 1997. Yeah. Are you really? kidding me? Laptops were still – everything was big in 97, mate. Like you're just Mis- – Misremembering. Like you're confused about how long things have been around for. Like really? It's, I could have sworn I had a laptop. Technology has evolved very quickly. You might have. I mean, yeah. I'm not – but like 
really he wouldn't understand what any of those things were anyway, <laughs> yeah, Woody Shakespeare. Point. So <laughs> like, I don't know. You could say I'll is. shake my floppy doo <laughs> and I wouldn't know what that was. <laughs> Like it wouldn't mean anything to him that the phone had a cord or didn't have a cord because he wouldn't know what a phone was. Um, yeah, drummers, man, drummers. Uh, you, you, you'll get a whole new appreciation for um, uh, like different genres of music as well because like they bring in these, like there's jazz, metal, um, yeah, that, that pop drummer. There's all these different people who come in and then when you hear how they break stuff down, it's like, like one guy was like, I've never listened to. What was it? It was like something ridiculous. It wasn't like the Beatles, but it was. Oh, it was the kill. Okay, compu- okay computer. Okay, yeah, yeah, computer by Radiohead. Yeah, I think Ben Elton <laughs> does play drums too, doesn't he? <laughs> no, it was. Um, it was a heavy metal drummer drums to Mr. Brightside, and and oh, they yeah. were like, "Have you ever heard this song before?" And he's like, "No." And they're like, "Are you serious?" Like, impossible. Yeah, it's like like one of the most popular pop I do songs. Not I was like, no, no, I've never listened. I only. There is no way you can. I was literally staying in a hotel last night where the pub across the 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 road were playing Mr. Brightside. I've heard it within the last twenty four hours. There is no way this guy can have lived in the world and not heard Mr. Brightside. I think Brightside. he's Meg. He th- this was Megadeth's drummer, who's like that classic Scandinavian yeah. like metal dude. I think those guys take their metal pretty seriously. I think there is a chance he could not have heard Mr. Brightside, but just down the shops or something, right? Like, I mean, even if you're in like. Mega death. You're probably still going to the shops. Yeah, but aren't you tuning out? Like, I've probably heard a bit of K-pop in my time, but I couldn't tell you what it sounded like. No, but if you heard it again, you'd be like, "I'm." Oh, yeah, actually, no. maybe not. No, you're right. I, yeah. Good argument. Well <laughs> done. This is two, 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 two for you in this episode. <laughs> in the podcast, I've never had this kind of advantage in our relationship ever. <laughs> this is, this oh, is good imagine, by you. This is Some the episode where the tables turn. <laughs> now I get to make fun of you for thirteen years. <laughs> Um, last week, uh, I mentioned that I went to see Paul McCartney and, yes. uh, it got me thinking, do you remember that clip that came out? I don't know how many years ago, but it was, I think it was like Beck and Paul McCartney and Taylor Hawkins not being able to get into some after party after the Grammys or something. Do you remember that? Beck, Beck Hewitt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Beck Hewitt, <laughs> Beck and Leighton Hewitt and Paul and Sir Paul McCartney and Taylor Hawkins, uh, Scientologist Beck. Scientologist and musician Beck, uh, Paul McCartney and Taylor Hawkins. Do you know what I'm talking about? There was I do. A, it was like an Oscars or Arias, Arias. Or not Arias, <laughs> a, a Grammys. Yeah, it was. Oh, I'm it was a TMZ uh, video, like, and they were. I think it was like, oh god, I'm, there's a rapper called. Is he called La Tigra? No, El Tigo. Oh yeah, I think so. Well, something Tigre, Tigra, Tigger. Winnie MC Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. It was Paul McCartney, Beck, and who? Uh, Taylor Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins. Because I think right. Paul, I remember him saying, even somehow not being a Beatles good enough to get into the club or something like that. Yeah, right. Okay, here we go. Hang on. Let's you know what? I can see. find the actual clip and uh, play it. Okay. But, but this is the article from Rolling Stone. Um, in a bizarre turn of the events, after the Grammys, Beatles co-founder Paul McCartney, American singer-songwriter Beck, and Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins were reportedly denied entry to rapper Tigers, T-Y-G-A, Tigers party at the Argyle in Hollywood. Right. Oh, I've got the video. Perfect. Here we go. 
So that's just some TMZ dickhead talking to Paul McCartney as he's waiting in line and he looks very annoyed. You've got a very... I like that Paul McCartney is like chewing gum <laughs> like he's done a whole lot of cocaine. <laughs> like he's really How young is Beck look gum. in the front there? He looks like a, it's like he's taking his kid out. Yeah. Mate, right, that's go. Scientology. Continue. Keeps you looking young. All right, so the, the bouncers just shut the door in their face. Oh, my God. So Beck kind of lingered and just stared dismissively yeah. at the TMZ cameras. And then so Paul's yeah. gone towards the door to get into this club and Taylor's kind of behind it's him. And so Paul has been refused entry. <laughs> Sir Paul McCartney. Okay, how VIP do we got to get? That's what uh, – even even in that yeah. moment though, what a hip way of saying that. How VIP do we got to get? And, and we, Beck. he included Taylor Hawkins and Beck in that. The gen- the generosity of spirit by really what the question is, how yeah. big does he have to be? He's literally in the most famous band of all time. Okay, there's some awkward banter going on now. Yeah, so we need another hit, guys. We do you need think Paul's hit. doing that for the benefit of the camera or just to save face in front of the other bouncer? I mean, I think this is a situation he is not prepared for. Like, when would have been the last time that Sir Paul has been denied entry to any room? Like, I mean, I just would Ever. have thought like that once Palace, he'd be allowed to walk in. Do whatever you want to do. Just make yourself at home, mate. Like you've done, you've contributed so much to this world. You get just like, they give some like people the keys to the city, right? Like he gets the keys to everywhere. The yeah. universal key. Like I would be happy if I came home and Paul McCartney was just sitting in the living room watching something on YouTube, but that's fine. He has, he's earned that right. I'm actually even amazed that they had to wait. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they were lingering on the sidewalk at the start of this clip 40 seconds ago and they are still no closer to the door, like not even getting rejected inside away from the paparazzi. Like they're just on the street. Like everyone who's ever gone to a club, you know, like post some event and you're in your suits knows this feeling where you're loitering around and you're in your brain, you're half thinking, is this worth it? Like, should I just get a cab and go home? Like you're hanging out with your mates and like you want to kick on, but is this bit worth it? This particular humiliation worth it? That's what's going on, right? I mean- this is the problem, I think, particularly for Sir Paul McCartney, because for Taylor and for Beck, you're hanging out with Sir Paul. So, of course, it's worth it, right? Whatever he wants to do, if he wants to stay out wherever he wants to go, of course, you are spending the re- – you're going home when he goes home, right? But yeah. You're not going home beforehand. Yeah. But for Sir Paul, wh- what could possibly happen inside that room that is anything cooler than a million things he has done in his life. Like by him going in there, he gives everyone a story, right? Yeah. Like not the other way around. Like so particularly for him, you've got to think like, I mean, he's met John Lennon. He's already like, <laughs> he's who's he going to meet John that's cooler <laughs> than that? That was actually something funny about the the, the concert was um, he sort of did a little story about each of the other three members of the Beatles. But the way he'd introduce it was like, you know, I was, I was talking to my friend John, you know, and as if like, yeah, we all know your friend John, mate. Like you don't have to qualify him. Just say John. I was talking to John. We know which John you're talking about. It's all good. 
I mean, but even even that is the power of. I mean, it, of course, you're at a Paul McCartney concert, so context clues are giving you an idea of which John he might be referring to. But it is also the power of like when you say John Paul. George and Ringo, people immediately just know who you are talking about. Like, yeah. these are the biggest names on the fucking planet. Like, what is – I mean, okay, let's keep I, going. There's more I actually saw clip. a guy at the concert and he's wearing a T-shirt and all mm. it said on it, there was no pictures or like you know, like tour dates or anything like that. It just said Paul. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, Paul. <laughs> how famous do you have to be? Mm. Do you have the most generic Anglo name? And immediately I'd say most people would say that T-shirt would know you're talking about Paul McCartney. Like that's also, I mean, was this an official Paul McCartney bit of merchandise that he just sells with know. Paul on it? Or did this guy just <laughs> knock mate. up his own Paul shirt at home? Because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> All right, let's go to the video. Oh, here we go. They've opened the door. Okay, so they've cracked the door open a little oh bit. Oh, my God. And so-, so Here's what I'm – yeah, it's go on. You can describe Well, so security – so the door cracked open a little bit. Security said to the two guards outside, no, no, no. So now Paul and Taylor have moved to a more visible position mm. in the cracked door so that they can see exactly who they're denying entry to, but nothing well, appears yes, to be changing. I mean, they're doing, they're doing what they should be doing in this situation is making people aware – of who they are yeah. without saying, don't you know who I am? Yeah. They're just like going, I'm going to give you a second chance. Just have a look and see, does either of these guys remind you of the, one of the greatest musicians of all time or, I don't know, the drummer from the biggest band in the fucking world? <laughs> I mean, the amazing thing is too, like I was saying to uh, Sammy Cav who I went to the gig with, when Paul McCartney came out on stage, like, you know normally when you see a band, especially if they haven't been in Australia for like four or five years, you do get a little moment of when, they come out on stage. You're like, oh, my God, like that's fucking whoever. But when he came on stage, because he is so famous and you see his face so often, it's like, oh, there's Paul McCartney. Like there was no moment because it's like, oh, there's Santa Claus or, you know, there's Mickey Mouse or like whatever recognizable brand. He is one of the most famous faces in the world. Subconsciously, you'd think that anyone would know who he was even if they didn't know who he was, right? Do you think that and look this we're not the first people to discuss this aspect of it and Cam and Alexi do a really funny chat about this on their podcast special features which I highly recommend for people to check out. But do you think this is the question I wanted to ask them because the tour was called Got Back, right? Now we all understand it's a play on Get Back, but do you think that Paul McCartney is aware of the other meaning of – because, like, Cam and Alexi talked about a lot, but what they didn't ask was, like, has he never heard Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back or is this, like, a play on Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back? when the Knights of the Realm met that Sir Mix-a-Lot and Sir Paul McCartney and Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> when they were assigned their holy quests, you figured that the two knights uh, would have encountered one another. I mean, what a great reboot of that. Like if they want to make another movie about the Knights of the Round Table, but they've got Sir Paul McCartney, <laughs> Sir Mix-a-Lot, uh, Sir Vivian Richards, the cricketer. <laughs> Oh, shit. So another bouncer's come out. Like he looks like a manager and he said, just give me one second. And they're not saying, don't you know who I am, but they're sort of just standing there gobsmacked that they're not being recognized. 
I mean, it is quite gobsmacking. I've got to be honest with you. Like, they've managed to find the four humans on the planet who don't know who Sir Paul McCartney and Dale Hawkins are. And the weirdest part was in that last bit, like a guy actually left the club. So we know there's room for at least one Mm. person, potentially maybe the most famous person on the planet you could let into the club as soon as you let out this guy. You'd be trading up. (laughs) Just on a traditional one-in, one-out, you've made the party better. Wow. Wow. That is stunning. <laughs> that is a- I mean, so what happens is because so Taylor and Beck do what I would do in that situation Stop. is distance himself from the door, go back out on the street, don't want to get involved in the drama. But the elder statesman, yeah. they're on orders of her, her <laughs> highness. <laughs> Has just stuck around for a bit because he honestly cannot believe what is happening here, which is that, like, how big do you have I to actually be, right? think like, you that know, they did it with the most dignity possible because I think they hung around for just long enough to for credulity to snap where it's like, okay, like you genuinely don't know who this person is and you're not going to let them in. And so I think that – And then they decided they to leave. Very which, great, like, gracefully. Yes. They didn't kick up a fuss. They didn't even – no snide comments, nothing. They just No, I'm gonna get you yeah. sacked. No, I'm gonna get you assassinated like I got John assassinated, he says on TMZ. I mean, there would have been how many parties would have would have been happening after the Grammys? There'd be multiple parties, right? Like they they, they found a party. <laughs> like I'm not worried. I mean, I gotta be honest with you, they get into a hummer. That looks like there's a party you know already going Who on the inside fuck that house. Anyone else? I mean, look, I don't really care for Beck, but you've got yourself Taylor Hawkins and Paul McCartney. That's a party right there. I mean, I'd be very happy to talk to yeah. Beck. This is a good party. I'd be rapt to be invited to this party. Although Beck, yeah, he he seemed the least into getting into the club out of all of them. He, yeah, Beck was like, I'm fine, yeah. I'm fine, man. I, I mean, what would Beck be doing in that club anyway? Beck in a hip hop club. I mean, Beck, you know, Beck's a Is bit he? hip hop. Beck, like, yes. Beck's a bit hip hop. Like, his first album De- had like elements of hip hop. Definitely. And like, he, over the years, he's dabbled his toes a little in the hip hop right. world. Okay. All right. Um, Tofop, bringing you <laughs> gossip clips from <laughs> 10 years ago. But it did make me think because, like, seeing him and seeing how famous he was, it was like, that is crazy to think that it just isn't instinctive for, for some people. But I guess, you know, he, at the same time, if you're like a 25-year-old bouncer and some, well, he would have been in his mid-70s English guy comes up, maybe you don't know who Paul McCartney is. It'd be like us knowing who Al Jolson is. Yeah, but at a after party for the Al Jolson like, you know, films. <laughs> that's, yeah, right. Like, I mean, it's not like it is a completely unrelated event to the music I industry. Guess. Yeah, like, but the bouncer is not yeah, a musician, he's security. I understand that, but on a night like that, like much like in the comedy festival, most of the people who work at the venues are familiar who the comedians are. Like, I think it would be like a similar and if, I think if you're a bouncer at like a huge club, wouldn't there be some sort of protocol of like, I don't know, like if I ran a club, a manager, I would have like a sort so, of policy like someone of like someone who works in the business to vet. Yeah, is there not like a 
quality you know, like tester. So Paul McCartney rocked up to one of my improvised shows and they were like, nah, it's sold out. I'd hope that like a manager would pop down and go, actually, you know what, we'll find so a seat time I've ever gone to like an after party after an event, it's gen- generally been the case that someone's inv- someone who's there said, hey, come down, I'll let you in, just give me a call when you're outside, I'll walk you in or whatever. Do you think that they didn't have that? They were just like – Where's the closest party? We don't want to be in the car too long. Where's the closest after party? Oh, the Argyle. Let's go there. Do we know anyone? That doesn't matter. Do you reckon that was the well, – maybe not a conversation, but that was the assumption, right? Yes. Yeah, the assumption was, and I would have thought up until this day the correct <laughs> assumption is, they could go wherever the fuck they wanted after to After the go. Grammys. And if someone said, have you got any ID? They'd be like, I do. It's this cover of Abbey Road. <laughs> yeah. You heard of it? <laughs> Speaking of security, one thing that was interesting to note at uh, Got Back was, so I saw it on the Gold Coast. It was a Paul McCartney show on the Gold Coast. So you can take Paul McCartney to the Gold Coast, (laughs) but that means you're going to get the Gold Coast of Paul McCartney. And the security was so fucking heavy-handed, man. Like (laughs) they, they were patrolling the floor stalking around and it was it was funny because at one stage so you know like most concerts when the when the band hits the stage everyone kind of surges forward and so you had your sort of vip you know section of like uh uh you know 20 rows right at the front then you had like the second vip session section in front of the the sound um the mixing desk and then it was kind of general admin standing behind that so that's where i was so we pushed up and got as far as the back of the vip section so probably only about 50 meters from the stage and it was all cool and all chill and like we're even making plans about how we can sneak into the vip section and get right at the front um but these two fucking boomers ruined it for everyone this this bald guy and his partner um they because it was all – everyone's standing in the seated section, but everyone's pushed into the aisles. And so I guess there would have been some grumbling from the boomers who were still seated who couldn't now see because some people were standing and blah, blah, blah. But if you stuck to the aisles, you know, you're not obstructing any view. It's a pretty safe spot. But this guy and his partner started like dancing and then drifting in front of the seated boomers. And then boomer wars started, like there's some grumbling and stuff. And so security came over. And it was such a lesson in like, like uh, boomers have never been denied anything, <laughs> you know. Mm. They've never had anyone <laughs> say to them no. And so the security came up and said, "Mate, you can't stand there. Like, there's people you're, you're obstructing the view." And rather than be like, "Oh, sorry about that," and then backing to where the rest of us were kind of standing around, like he kicked up a fuss, like, you know, why can't I be here? And so the security tried to explain it, you know, simple terms, because you're blocking their view, they've paid for these seats. You know, and then the guy started just being a real dickhead. And then the security guard, it was fucking massive, like roided up. You could see him switch where it went from negotiation to just give me an excuse to fucking choke you out. Like uh, just yeah. say something, put your hand on me. Like it was – I just saw that look in his eye to the point where I turned to Sam and said, hey, I think we should just back up a bit because I feel like someone's going to get fucking thrown to the ground and their hip broken any second. And it was hilarious because it did escalate. But the guy, the boomer guy, he didn't want to lose face in front of his partner or whatever, but he was a bit pissed where 
he had a, just enough courage to kind of stand up to this giant muscular bouncer, but not enough coordination or mental dexterity to like make a you know to kind of get the last word. Mm-hmm. So his kind of tactic was that Tony Abbott thing of just standing and staring and looking like you're having an aneurysm. <laughs> like he, just, <laughs> he was just he, he was paralyzed between wanting to say something but knowing he'd probably get his ass kicked, but not wanting to look like a like a, a loser. And so he was like. All right, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to have a good time. The bouncer's like, have a good time in your section, mate. You don't belong, you don't have a ticket, get out of here. And the guy's like, all right. And then he turns in a circle and is like, well, how do I get out of here? And the bouncer goes, I don't go. I the fucking fastest way. <laughs> so tracks this dude off. But then this fucking boomer, he ruined it for everyone. Then they got hot on, we've got to see everybody's tickets. And I've never seen this uh, at a yeah, fucking concert okay. before where you're uh-huh. on the floor and now they're fucking going around, uh, and we didn't have tickets because we'd snuck onto the floor, so we were definitely <laughs> the kind of people that they're looking for. And so we started backtracking yeah. through the crowd. But it was like you've got Paul up there as a little piece of love and, you know, you know, you know, all that kind of shit. And then you had these fucking like Gestapo-esque fucking security guards going around harassing people, like really like demanding randomly, like no order to it, just kind of profile someone and demand to see their mm. ticket. You know what I've enjoyed about this story is like that your breaking of the rules was ruined by people who just yes. took it too far. You're not <laughs> against you're not against breaking the rules. You feel like the rules are there to be bent 100%. a little, but these people went too far out and ruined it for everyone who was just having a nice night breaking some That's rules. That's right. Like it's it's kind of the, it's like it's like when you know your parents let you drink at home. Like you can have a few friends over and stuff. Mm. Oh yeah, if, yeah. But you can't. But yeah. If you got if one mate fucking vomiting purple down yeah, the Tarago, it's never going to happen. So it. it's a good way to teach responsibility. I'm all for bending the rules, but don't fucking like yeah. ruin it for the rest of us. <laughs> well, let's get uh, to a bit of Tofot mail, and then we can get out of here. Um, this came from uh, Matt. He says, Daniel Day-Lewis is the greatest ever bulldog. That's the subject. Hi, gents. First time, long time, etc. I've just listened to 481, The Greatest Ever Bulldog. With all the Daniel Day-Lewis talk during the episode, I had an idea for the movie. It's The Greatest Ever Bulldog starring Daniel Day-Lewis. When he goes full method, we'll have to spend a full season playing with the doggies as the Bond. If he masters football, as he seems to master everything else, then the Bulldogs will be able to have two Marcus Bontempelli's on the field at once. Or would Daniel Day Lewis and or would Daniel Day Lewis that the real Bont couldn't be there because Daniel Day Lewis is now Marcus Bontempelli? Right. Thanks for the last. So, what do you reckon about that? Getting Daniel, you guys. I mean, you could do with another Bont, right? <laughs> I mean, yes. Could we do with another best player that we have? I reckon we'd find some somewhere. So, do you to, think a fifties do with our spare Bont? something Daniel Day Lewis, knowing his commitment yeah. to method acting? Could mm-hmm. learn. I mean, we've le- Mason Cox learned Aussie rules in seven years. How many yeah. years does Bontebelli have? Probably about seven. So it means he'll yeah. be 63. You'll have a 63-year-old Marcus Bontebelli uh-huh. <laughs> and a 31-year-old Marcus Bontebelli. His greatest yeah. project, though. Like he, If Daniel Day-Lewis mm. can bring you a second flag in the space of 10 years, like that he will be the greatest entertainer, <laughs> entertainer of all time. What if, because obviously they have the mini legends, which is the kids who are dressed up like the adult football players, but what if they 
came out with a campaign that was like maxi legends. Like, so it's the older oh, versions yeah. of instead of the, the younger perfect. versions of today's current day player, they have the older versions of today's current day players and they get all these actors to, you know, this big campaign. It's going to be part of this like new push. And Daniel Day-Lewis plays the bot, but of course – he won't just phone the performance in like all these other actors who have like you know uh, come in for the paycheck. He wants he, to know. What's he getting he needs to the learn. Head, Marcus Bontempelli. Yeah. And he goes down to the club and he just gets so good because he's such a good yeah. actor that he can act to be like he's not he actually be- the second greatest bulldog of all time, but he can act like he yeah. is, which no one else can tell the difference. <laughs> 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 Uh, this is from Matthew. Uh, fuck me, you guys have created a lot of content. That is true. To be fair, yes. some of uh, it was just that, but most of Fofop and Tofop is rich with juicy <laughs> predictions. That's a real okay. backhanded compliment. <laughs> was it even a compliment? You created a lot of content. Fuck me. Some of it was just that. Uh, but Fofop and Tofop yeah. is rich with juicy predictions. In uh, Fofop 110, Will predicts Twitter will make no money and then someone will buy it for big bucks and then fuck it up. That was in 2014. Wow. Oh, my God. I'm impressed with that. Wow. <laughs> Who are you Me talking too. to when you had that conversation? That. Maybe Dave. That's early Fofop days. Mm, so maybe. Most likely Dave, right? You did most of them with him back then. I mean, probably yeah. Dave, yeah. Generally hilarious conversations with Charlie and Charlie number one. Tofop Facts and World's Worst Lawyers are my favourite episodes of Tofop in 2014. Um, then there was one where your respective partners made a cameo to pre- preserve how, how unamused they were, but in a loving way. I love that you guys have such a long and enduring friendship. Do you ever fight? I think the only fight I can remember was over the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, that doesn't really no. count as much of a fight. <laughs> well, it wasn't a personal issue. I mean, it was more of a disagreement over the, the third installment yeah, of a so, franchise. Yeah, so not no. really. No, uh, no. But, but I mean, like, it's not like we're in each other's grill pockets. Like, we mostly only like catch up to do the podcast. Yeah. You know, we're we rarely in the same place. So there's not like. There's a whole bunch of extra opportunity to be having fights. That's a good point. Because like, and it's not like we work together and long enough hours. Like, if this was like a full time radio job or something like that, where we're doing five shows a week, then I'm sure there'd be more conflict. But we haven't had a lot of professional disagreements. No, because like, we're both essentially the quite show. Lazy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. If one of us has an idea, the other one is generally quite open to it. It's like, yeah, sounds. Do good. I have to do? Like, we had a conversation <laughs> just like before something where something got suggested, and I was just yep. like. Yeah, that does sound heaps better than the way we did it last time. Uh, Deep dive starting during COVID on Velocity and then front and back ends of Tofop and Fofop working towards the middle. What? So does that mean you're listening to like an early Tofop and a late Tofop, early Fofop, a late? It's a new way to do it. I don't mind it. I don't mind. I don't mind a little bit of that. It's a little... Like we always say, start with the new ones and work your way backwards. But the only problem with that is you do end with disappointment. Yeah. Whereas this one's more of an even like diet. This method sort of balances us out yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's like kind of having a mouthful of ice cream and a mouthful of shit. <laughs> yeah, and then just ducking into a philosophy to, you know, just kind of This is like horrible, have some but at least I know there's whatever. something good coming a bit later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw some shows and I've bought some merch. I'm still toying with Patreon, but I haven't yet. 
But I do spread the word of the Book of Pod. I hope you're in a great place. Thank you, Matthew. And um, if I can encourage you to join up the Patreon, um, uh, let me if I can. Maybe I can encourage you with some some tantalising uh, uh, offers, such as ad-free episodes of all the shows of the Top Network, including Philosophy, Top with Friends, Two Guys, One Cup, full videos of TOEFOP, uh, plus heaps and heaps of archive material, bonus comic strips from James Fosdyke. There's so much great stuff on our Patreon, patreon.com slash TOEFOP. Uh, this next bit of mail is from, just calls them, oh no, it's Vance. Vance. Yeah, I like that. Vance Joy? No, Vance H. And I literally has just got an H there. Vance H. Okay. Vance. Are there any other famous Vances? Vance, Vance Joy, Joy and Vance. There is a, I think it's a le- politician, but these Vance. The, the is legend last, of Bagger Vance. The last name, I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, advanced yeah, hair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a unexplained, explained uh, specific email. Oh, great! Um, hey, Charlie, just catching up your work. Started the unexplained, explained. I think I identify with the 99% skeptic designation that Charlie has pinned on himself. And also, they're still bug fuck scared of creaky houses and closets within them. Yes, I think Ben and I, that is our position. If you are tentative about listening to the unexplained explained because you think it's a bunch of woo-woo, Ben and I are skeptics. We don't believe in any of this stuff, but we are fascinated by it nonetheless. Um, and the stories we sort of delve into and, and, and the people we speak to, I think everyone is kind of on the same boat. It's just fun. It's fun to dip into. I had this incident where... I was researching one of the topics we're going to talk about. And I'm a grown man who doesn't believe in any of this stuff. But reading about ghosts and spooks and spectres, it got me a little scared, like a little bit of a scaredy cat. (laughs) So you say you're a grown man who doesn't believe in this sort of stuff. But in my experience of talking to you, I think you like there's at least a small amount of this stuff that you are open-minded to the idea that something like – I'm open-minded to it. I don't think that any of the – I don't think that anyone's got it right. Like people who say that, you know, this is how the afterlife operates or whatever. No, I'm, I think there could be something, but not what you're saying. Like, I, I don't think there is this kind of, we just become invisible versions of ourselves and we try and send cryptic mis- messages to each other and stuff. Um, but I'm not saying that there isn't something out there. That's the 1%. Yeah, yeah, I don't agree with that 1%. You don't think there's anything. <laughs> you don't th- but how can you know? No. I, I don't. Well, I don't yeah. know. I, this is we're talking about I. what you believe. I think I'm about 105. percent right. <laughs> I think uh, I don't really believe in anything. <laughs> I was working on a Western screenplay about a haunted town where the main character was dealing with the legacy of his father, a mad, self-appointed frontier judge. I envisioned this character as tall and gaunt, with a narrow head, clad in long, torn duster, with a wide-brimmed hat. Think dark man, and you're in the general area. Anyway, I'm sleeping one night and we get hit by a storm. This happens occasionally in Los Angeles, though almost never with horizontal rain and thunder and lightning, and that's why I felt okay having the window at the foot of my bed open. Well, tonight the storm had horizontal rain and thunder and lightning, apparently the latter of which was about 50 feet away. I woke up to notice that my reddish-brown curtains were flapping violently in the wind, and moments later, an incredibly loud clap of thunder and a flash of uh, lightning oh illuminated God. the curtain and in my semi-lucid state highly resembled the frontier judge that I'd built in my mind. Oh, my God. It freaked me out but also delighted me. That is, until my whimpering dog ejected the contents of its bowels all over the door and wall opposite <laughs> the window. <laughs> so 
Uh, of course, I added some details of what I witnessed to my script notes after my heart returned to normal and I cleaned up the splatter. But your stories made me think of that moment. So thanks for that, I guess. Well, you're uh, welcome, Vance, and thank you for listening to the show. Thank you, Vance. Um, now that we know he's American, Vance makes heaps more sense, right? Um, you're more inclined to meet a Vance in America than in Australia. That's I d- certainly don't know a lot of Australian Vances because even Vance Joy, which is the one Vance that I can think of, is not his real name. That's like a performing name, a stage name. I don't think Vance is a like a, a very common Australian name. Uh, we're going to finish on this. Will, you might remember a few episodes back, we dedicated an entire episode to listener Matthew uh, or Matt. I do. uh, Who had written to us several times and for some reason we had just neglected. So he's written in. He says, it's a dream come true. Thank you for the episode, sirs. That was amazing. My friend Kieran was walking his dogs and listening to Tofop at 5.30 a.m. He woke me up with a voice message telling me to listen to the episode immediately. Mind blown. I am the envy of devoted Tofop listeners and writers everywhere. Mike the Third, thank you for the song. It's incredible. Uh, Tofop for life. The patron just paid for itself. Charlie, one last thing. Do you remember you and your missus? <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Don't say that to her ever. <laughs> She's not my missus. No, no, she loves that. Hang on, sorry. Have I, you I, ever I, met I her? You say, who's your me. missus? What do you say? Oh, okay, yep. Okay, why aren't there a nun up there? Okay, all right. So, for some reason, I'm being told I have to bring. Uh, yes, I'll do it. I'm being told I have to bring a plastic cup upstairs, even though I'm in the office where there are no plastic cups, and she's in the kitchen where there's heaps of plastic cups. Okay, well, that's that's. If we feel that who's in charge of that relationship then? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, he says, one last thing. I remember you and your missus started a film. It was called Blackwater or Darkwood or something similar. Yes. It was called Blackwood. There was a screenshot that I shared on Facebook. I haven't heard about the project since. Keen to see if you shot any test footage. Good work, lads. She'll continue to pen letters if I can contribute something relevant or interesting. Uh, the long and the short of Blackwood is we went through two rounds of vel- development funding with Screen Australia. Uh, we got all our ducks in a row. We went in for production investment and they decided they were pivoting more towards television. <laughs> So in our round, I think one project got financed and seven did not, which was an incredibly dispiriting way to end five years of work. It's so much work for so – like, I mean, and it's such a Very common, common story, yeah. right? Like this is, this is actually the story that they don't tell you most of the time is the amount of work that creators, particularly trying to make movies and particularly trying to make movies in and out of Australia is the amount of time and energy and creativity and, as you said, lining up. So like having to line up so much just in the hope that they will give you the funding to be able to pursue your project. Like it's, yeah, it's incredible. I I mean, I witnessed all that work that you did over all that Mm. time and just to see the fact that at some stage someone just goes, nah. Well, you know what? The thing about it is, None of that work is wasted because we are now in a very content hungry. So I have dusted that script off and I've already got it out to people because it's like, oh, this can be a TV show, 100%. So, and in that five year period where I was working with Screen Australia, it was actually awesome. Like they kept sort of giving us money for me to work with these amazing like script editors and um, mentors and writers and stuff. So I sort of did like a mini kind of like university course in the space of five years. Um, but that project may come back. You never know. You never know. On to other projects, including Tofop. 
<laughs> so I've gone okay. from the lofty heights of a feature film to a pretend radio show with my friend Will. No. Yeah, well, We're you know what? This is more achievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, don't have to ask anyone for money for this. Well, we do. Visit our Patreon. We do. You, the listener, please sign up. Uh, have you got stuff to promote? Yeah, I'm on a tour, of course, so like people can check out my tour dates at comedy.com.au. But also, uh, very importantly, if you could watch Question Everything on ABC iView, you can actually watch it, of course, live to air 8.30 on a Wednesday night on ABC TV. But if you could check out the episodes on ABC iView, if you could watch those, get our iView numbers up, that'd be – we've been having such a great time doing the show. So many hilarious comedians who have been part of the TOFOP, FOFOP, philosophy universe. So uh, – um, you can check them all out as guests on uh, Question Everything on ABC TV. And uh, we'll be back again next week. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. How long? Not long. Everyone relax. Listener.